and he's chasing this butterfly and chasing that butterfly, and it's a good day. He's catching lots of wonderful butterflies, and he's taking a rest at one moment, and all of a sudden, the most incredible, magnificent butterfly, not only that he's ever seen in his life, but that he ever even imagined existed, landed on a blade of grass in front of him. This butterfly was all the colors of the rainbow, but mostly like this purple and gold filtered in with all the other colors. And it was in this pattern of two eyes. And so it looked like every time the butterfly opened and closed its wings, it was like it was blinking at him. And it was enormous. And it took his breath away. He couldn't believe it. He sat there watching it for a moment. And then he got himself together and remembered, I'm a butterfly collector, and this is the prize of my entire lifelong career. So slowly, he stepped back, yet his most, his finest net, slowly pulled it out, and the butterfly just sat there, winking and blinking at him on the blade of grass pulled the net out, and shoop! What do you think? Of course he missed. The butterfly took off, and Shang took off after him, and they ran across the meadow. And Shang knew this, of course, I couldn't catch the most magnificent queen of butterflies that easily. And he loved it. It was the most joyful chase ever. The sun was shining, and the birds were chirping, and all sorts of species were scurrying everywhere. It was a magical day as he went chasing after this queen of butterflies through the meadow. The first joyful, exciting hour turned into a second, a little more exhausting hour. And four hours later, Chang was wiped. He had been chasing after this butterfly. He was sweaty. He was tired. And he was obsessed. He had to have this butterfly. He could think of nothing else. This is the prize of the career. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll sell it to the king himself. This is the most amazing butterfly. And he's like losing touch with himself. He's so hell-bent on catching this butterfly. And so he's chasing it here and chasing it there. And all of a sudden, he's running blindly. He doesn't even see where he's going. And he's all of a sudden buried up to his ankles and his calves and his knees in mud. And he watches the butterfly fly gently on the breeze across the pond and land on a lotus flower in the middle. And Chang stands there sinking in the mud and decides what is his life worth without this butterfly. And so he plunges into the pond, swimming with one arm and holding his net up in the other and makes his way across the pond. And he's, he's like, he's lost it. He's lost his, his joyful sense of what he, is about here and has to have this butterfly. And so as he gets closer, he, he's like, he's, he's all, he's losing his breath and he's, he's crazy with the pursuit and with the hunt. And as he gets closer, he calms himself down and reaches up and boom! And of course, again, he misses and the butterfly takes off and flies away and Chang sinks down and is covered in lotus flower roots and he's got a nail on his head and his, Ned is getting ripped and 
Ugh! He's got water and grass up his nose and finally drags himself out of the pond and up on shore. And there's a fish in his pocket and a frog on his shoulder and he's all tangled in weeds and grasses and he's all muddy and just, ugh! Ugh! He delivers the fish back to the water and the frog back to the mud. And he turns, and there's the butterfly up in a branch, winking and blinking at him. And he takes off his soaking wet robe and lays it out in the sun and collapses on the ground. Oh, butterfly, you elude me. Don't you understand? I could have saved you from the fate of being eaten by a bird, or just dying and rotting in the, in the field. I could have preserved you forever. You could have hung on the walls of the emperor's palace. And slowly the sun dappling through the leaves, the breeze, the exhaustion, Chang's eyes become heavy, watching those gorgeous, enormous wings wink and blink at him. Who knows how long he's been into the dark, dreamless depths. And then he has that feeling of waking He's the light. He goes to stretch, as is his custom, upon waking, as most of us do. But he's stuck. He can't, can't move. He's stuck, and it's, he's trying to open his eyes, but it's, it's dark with like a crack of light. And he's, what's I'm trapped. Am I, am I asleep? He takes a deep breath and pushes, and the crack of light gets a little bit bigger. And he takes another deep breath and stretches, and the crack of light gets a little bit bigger. And then he takes another deep breath and, ah, and he breaks free. And he can feel, he can feel his movement. But something's weird. Something doesn't feel right. And he goes to turn, and then he sees this gorgeous gold, huge gold leaf behind him. And he can't. What tree grows this kind of leaf? And he goes to look over his other shoulder, and there's one over his other shoulder too, but every time he goes to turn, he can't quite see it. He goes to wipe his brow, but it's not his hand. Like a thread. Something is very not right. And he looks over, and there's a huge white flower over him. And he looks down, and he's high up off the ground, and he starts to freak out, and he loses balance in his tapples, and he's falling through the air, and he shivers in fear, and suddenly he's suspended in air for a moment. And then he stops and starts plunging again, and he's in his fear, he shivers again, and he's in midair for a second, and then he starts plunging again, and this time he knows what he's doing, and he with all of his might and all of his being, he shivers and he's flying. He's a butterfly. And he takes off across the meadow and watches his brethren butterflies landing on the flowers and drinking of the nectar. And he flies and rides the breeze and tries it himself and lands on a flower petal and watches his 
his friends, and he does the same. He crawls down into the center of the flower, and the smell is so incredible, and he drinks of the nectar, and he crawls back out drunk with joy, and then takes off and dances with the breeze under the sunlight, over the flowers, with the butterflies and the dragonflies and the birds flying everywhere, and he lives the long and instant life of a butterfly. Let's give a quick, we love you, for the sister that's being taken on. Yeah. 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 Thank you. One more time. One, two, three. We love you. We love you. And we're back. Butterflies. The lifetime, the short and eternal lifetime of a butterfly. I mean, let's all just imagine it for a moment, what it's like to be an incredibly joyful, purely ecstatic butterfly floating on the breeze, dancing with your sister and brother butterflies in the happiest meadow. He's lost complete connection with his life as a human. He is a butterfly. And as he's taking one joyful turn and another, all of a sudden, <gasps> he feels these, these threads and nets, and he's caught. And a huge voice says, for the king. And a huge hand reaches down and grabs him and thumps him into a box. And he sees his last glimpse of happiest meadow and sunshine as the lid to the box is closed. Darkness descends upon him again into his dark, dreamless sleep for an instant, for an eternity, until he wakes. And he dares not move. Am I a human or a butterfly? And finally, he stretches his human form and runs down to the pond just to be sure and sees his human reflection in the pond and looks up, and there's that queen of butterflies winking and blinking at him. And he falls to his knees and says, Oh, master, I shall become a maker of pots. For the rest of his life, he loves the butterflies, he appreciates the, but appreciates the butterflies, he runs through the meadows with them, he never catches a mouse. And he paints the most exquisite pictures of butterflies <laughs> on his most incredible pottery collection, which he sells to the poorest, the wealthiest of his Be A man who dreamt he was a butterfly, <clears throat> or a butterfly who dreamt he was a man? Whoever knows the answer to this question does indeed dwell in happiest men. Uh, I'm real excited. I've got like three public service announcements. I hope I can remember what they are. Uh, first one, the shitters. Okay. Does, uh, 
the sh does everyone know where the shitters are? Yeah. Yeah, well, some people may, some people not. But uh, where we are now, I'm a little disoriented. But uh, which someone point to space camp from here? There, there's the Lovin' ovens, space right? Space camp, right over there. Space camp's right over there. Okay, yeah. cool. So you just go down the trail towards Main Meadow, and on your left there's a path, and then you go to the shitter. We actually could use some signs that will uh, say the following. What you do is you you uh, you know actually it's some people say you should wash your hands before you go to the shitter because you're going to touch the toilet paper and whatnot. But you basically uh, squat, shit, you cover it with the the lime. We actually have lime up there. What that does, that actually breaks it down. I could explain the science if you want to later, but uh, we need to put the lime in there so it breaks down because it's not in the top six inches of the uh, organic layer. Then you uh, sprinkle the uh, over your shit and the toilet paper, and if some family didn't hear about that and they just, like, shat in there, you sprinkle lime over theirs too, or... You know, there's a limited yeah. amount of lime, and so then you, uh, uh, then you wash your hands, and then if there's a lime, toilet paper, or a hand wash missing, you go like wherever you need to go, like this kitchen or that kitchen, you get what you need to have the uh, to restock the shitter. This only works because we're all volunteering to do this, and we all need help to do this. So please help, and uh, help us do this. So that's the shitters. Uh, make sure you do shit in the shitters. Uh, because otherwise it's not very sanitary. We want to break the shit fly food connection. That's why we cover it with lime to not only help break it down, but to keep the flies off of it. And if you see flies on there, give it an extra dose of lime and maybe help just, just refill the lime anyway. We got bags of it uh, at Main Supply. El Mundo. What time is the orgy? Overbooking of onlookers, paparazzi, and hikers willing to catch chub when the free sex and without masks of the Rainbow family installed in Mancia de la Sierra transcended. We uncover the latest neo-hippie scam on Mother Nature. 300 euro slippers, laptops, trip to the cafeteria, and more war than love under the Quechua monopoly. By Ricardo F. Colmenero. Originally published June 14th, 2021, republished August 3rd, 2021. Not that we were animals in a zoo, complains Iris, pointing to a paparazzi on a hill on the other side of the Portillo River. Iris does not like the media, or multinationals, or waxing, or underwear. Here, she yells at the photographer, lifting her skirt, then asks me if I'm staying the night and offers me her jacket. The Civil Guard arrived first, three times, one with riot gear, another with the helicopter, then came the foreign agents, and then those of social affairs of the government of La Rioja to see if there were malnourished children or witnessing sexual scenes, or if the children ate while witnessing sexual scenes. The shepherds of the seven villages, Telecinco, photographers from international agencies, curious hikers, and hikers who came to see if they caught chub also passed there. Had the Rainbow Family meeting lasted one more week, a Mercedona would have opened in Mancia de la Sierra. As apparently no one is in charge here because the hierarchy is horizontal, Carls, a Catalan computer scientist dressed as a gnome and who claims to have left everything to build wooden things, stands upright. We have had a lot of problems because of what the press published about orgies. For example, I ask, lots of peepers and a dirty old man who was bothering the girls. And how did you throw it away? We're on that. The closest thing to civilization and to mobile coverage is Venta de Goyo, a 22-room hostel served by Juan Carr. 
and a cafeteria next to two gas pumps overlooking the river that his cousin serves. And why do you write about the nudists and not about what they want to take away, the doctor, from us, the cousin complains. From there, to get to the rainbow, you have to drive four kilometers by road and then another six along a dirt track that surrounds the Mancia Reservoir. When you start to see cars, mostly vans with license plates from France, Germany, the United Kingdom, or the Czech Republic, you have to continue on foot. A couple hours guided by a riverbed and arrows made with sticks that only confirm how difficult it is for the Rainbow family and anyone to be left alone in the 21st century. Three Bosques in their 50s are about to join, Mikkel, Raquel, and a woman who has changed her name to a Hindu dance. In the opposite direction from the camp, Hota appears. Do you know the rules, he asks? The first is not to eat meat. The girl with the Hindu dance name says that she is wearing some flour for the magic hat, that is, to share. The second and third, no alcohol and drugs, a rule that would make any Woodstock survivor convulse, according to Wikipedia, the origin of the Rainbow family. The fourth, no technology. Only that of the Hindu dance has participated in another rainbow in India 20 years ago and has not returned because she does not know how to find out. Following the anti-technology guideline, the instructions to get there were written down in pen and with colored drawing of the place. It's all word of mouth, says Hota, although later she ends up acknowledging a mailing is also made. Goyo's cousin from Venta had already warned us that every day several of them ha take a break from the rainbow and have breakfast in the cafeteria with their laptop and a sandwich of fried eggs with peppers. Mikel is the first to meet Jorge, the cowherd, a, a limousine breed. There is also another shepherd with sheep and another with horses whom Jorge points to different hills. What time is the orgy? Mikel asks him, getting sick of it. Jorge snorts, I wish they would stay forever. Why? To have someone to talk to. Along the way, the woman with the name of a Hindu dance talks about Miguel Bosé and informs me about the possibility of absorbing energy, spiritually detoxifying, and cleaning the path of chi by carrying stone eggs in her vagina. One knows that it has arrived because naked men begin to appear along the shore. A Cuban and his partner, decorated with a multitude of beads, looks like the welcoming committee. They smile and give long hugs as if they had given us up for dead and they invite us to continue toward a valley dominated by the sacred fire. One quickly realizes that marijuana prohibition must have been abolished somewhere along the way. Rather than smoking it, some appear to have been smoked or coated in it. There are couples lying on the grass embracing, guys walking on hands and doing cartwheels. The girl with the Hindu dance name is served coffee in a soup bowl. Apparently everyone has their own for everything that is ingested, but it is impersonal and transferable. What in Ibiza would be a normal and ordinary summer day in Beniras or Agues Blancas in the middle of La Rioja, it seems like a cannibal tribe or a lost civilization or a break from the recording of Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. After identifying ourselves as journalists, a group surrounds us and accuses us of what others have published. For a second, we appreciate the ban on eating meat. An Italian with light eyes and 300 euro sandals accuses me of being in the service of elites and multinationals. At first glance, the only one that is tolerated is Huechua. It sprinkles all over the camp like colored igloos. As they resolve crises by setting up circles, they invite us to one in which they will decide whether to let us take photos or eat us, I propose. A stick which is shaped like a micro decides the turn to speak. I skip it because a strabismus boy dressed in boots and a sweatshirt under which his genitals protrude, begins to tell me about the raid by the Civil Guard, which ended with almost a hundred denounced for camping and firing, and the arrest of a knife that was in the kitchen and a bottle of Viagra that was in a store. 
Apparently, a circle had to be made to talk about erectile dysfunction, and the one with Viagra said that he neither used it nor remembered why he had it there. But Iris, for example, doesn't believe it. Then they go to a second larger circle prior to the meal, as if they blessed it, in which they sing, holding hands several songs in different languages that sound like versions of the chorus of Love, Love by Lolita. They also dance and pray to the Pachamama, and they end with a long mantra, Om, which resounds through the valley. It's hot, and about a quarter of the circle is wearing no clothes, and the rest are hooded robes or sarongs. As soon as they tell me and the photographer where to drink and where not to piss, we feel integrated. They invite us to lunch, but we decline the offer. Here, everything is natural and ecological, they explain. A deaf mute brings us a metal plate, and we are going to wash it in the area indicated. On the way back, I sit next to Mano, a French musician with dreadlocks in his hair and beard and a moon tattooed on one knee, among many other drawings. He became famous in the press for a photo in Ibiza sleeping with a friend on the roof of the van. Next to him is his girlfriend, or something like that. You come to a rainbow and you may or may not have a connection with someone, explains Mano. The girl identifies as a therapist. I teach to breathe, she adds to cover my silence. A little further on, a person from Gipuzkoa said that it took him three days to hitchhike to reach the rainbow. At some point, I raise my head and a naked man appears before me with his legs spread who seems to be about to use a black tub as a toilet. But instead, he shoves a spoon into the tub that I hadn't seen before and extracts chunks of apricot, watermelon, and orange, which he places on my plate. I smile, he smiles at me, and I eat it. Mano has done a lot of rainbows. He likes it because it allows us to appreciate the very simple, very simple things. Food, nature, he emphasizes by putting his hand in the grass. And the rest of the time, sometimes there are workshops, yoga, meditation, or learning to play an instrument. Some people take turns getting up and talking. If people agree with what he says, they yell, Aho, which is what a Sioux would say. A girl with an umbrella of Tibetan prayers starts to tell something, but soon starts crying. Another hugs her from behind to calm her down, and another circle is proposed, smaller, called the heart, so each one can express their feelings. Previously, another one had been proposed to talk about the old green. Some of those who get up speak in English and are translated into Spanish in an inclusive language or exclusively female, depending on who is listening. Another of those who gets up tells that he wants to build a temescal, a kind of sauna with wood, blankets, and hot stones to which water is poured. And then another to explain what the runes had told him, some stones of Viking origin with sacred symbols that served to speak with a divinity. Apparently, the runes had commissioned a lot of missions once they left the rainbow, which were between beatitudes and coaching. Some get bored. Raquel kisses with the boy who touched her next to her. Soon, a group gets up, they start playing instruments, singing and dancing while passing the magic hat in which people leave euros. If you don't have one, they don't leave until you kiss your fingertips and pretend to kiss. Soon, I am leaving with another group and I meet Alberto, a man from Madrid who writes poems and draws women with three breasts and multiple heads. He says he came because he needed to relax after the latest cryptocurrency crash. Angie is German. She is 23 years old and goes around the world with her dog, a big black one named Radha, as the consort of the Hindu god Krishna. She agrees to be photographed even though she asks for money at first. And that philosophy here is bartering so as not to fall into monetary tyranny. This is her first rainbow. It's like my family, she says. Angie takes a long time to answer each question as if she had to wait for the translator for the earpiece. Then she writes me her email with a heart in the notebook. A father and son appear on horseback, 
and attracts the attention of the group as a kind of arrival of Columbus to the Indies. The Cuban's partner reports that a horse has a wounded leg and asks loudly if anyone knows about healing herbs. But the one with the horse says not to do anything, although then they stand there for several hours looking at the girls. David says he's an engineer and that he left it to travel the world and grow tomatoes. Ask the photographer to take a barefoot riding one of the horses. They let him get on, but the horse starts to run, and after a few meters, he falls. On the second try, the mess sets in. Five girls, some dressed, sprint 400 meters toward the photographer. He tells them that he is not taking pictures of them, but of David. But they respond that the camera has cut off their power, with the anger of someone who has lost a Word document of 200 pages. I think about reminding them that one of them has an electric guitar tuner, but I pass. A young man covered in marijuana also runs towards the photographer and another with a tattoo on his belly of the pirouette of a paper plane. They assume the patriarchal defense of this organization created to promote world peace for meditation in remote places. First, they yell at the photographer, then they push him, then they shake him, then they try to steal his camera, which they propose to throw into the river, and finally they force him to delete all the photos. In the middle of the mess, a mother with a three-year-old child appears crying, apparently because she does not know how to explain to her son what is happening. And finally, Carles, the vertical computer scientist, appears to apologize. In an aside, it says the photos can be recovered and offers to do so. He also says that those who have attacked the photographer will apologize and that what has happened is because of the new moon. They beg us to stay for the night, but we refuse. Farewell we receive more long, naked hugs, and we appreciate the historic opportunity to have enjoyed 10 hours of no coverage. As they leave the camp, about 10 women form a circle holding hands and participate in what appears to be a shouting workshop.
I'm extremely superstitious, though I mock people's religions, and I base most of my decisions on something that's probably fake. And yes, I can admit that I'm a contradictive dingbat. These things that I believe in, they keep me sane for insanity's sake. Well, I tell myself that everything, like all the shit that my life can bring, and all the things that fucking piss me off, they all happen for a reason. Like when I got put on the books, got caught for the things I took, or the terrible feeling I get each year at the turning of the seasons. I know that my outlook on being, well, it's just this strange It's working. I'm alive. I couldn't care to who mom compared. This is how I survive. Things are much better now that I'm alive. So I couldn't care to who mom compared because I'm alive. Oh, I'm alive. And I'm free. All these hateful assholes, no creativity. Just be yourself and fuck everyone else. Except the ones who love you for being yourself And they couldn't care less about anything else They love you good and they always will There's nothing that you could ever spill To them that would make them love you any less Even if you stink, got no job and you're penniless Because you've got friends like that with your fucking less So hold on to them tight Yeah, hold on to them tight Yeah, hold on to them tight and do your best uh, so this gathering, uh, you know, however things get scheduled or whatever reality is, ends on the 4th of July. And on the 4th of July, you know, what we do is we, you know, as soon as uh, morning light, we don't talk. We're just quiet. We listen. And until we all gather in the meadow in a big circle, sometimes there's a kid's parade that comes through to uh, uh, let us know when it's time to... Uh, Stop, but uh, basically we just ohm and we pray for peace. Now some people say, oh yeah, that's what I go for the fourth and the prayer for peace. In my view, this is all a prayer for peace. We are trying to make peace. Everything we do when you help your family, like who needs some help getting out of here, uh, which is why I gotta get back to the point, which is it ends on the fourth, even though these usually kind of end on the seventh. Maybe if we can all pretend that it is to the seventh, but stay for cleanup, for five, six, and seven, everybody stay for cleanup. We can get out of here by the seventh at hippie noon. Now, if, if, that's just that's just a dream. Uh, the, so anyway, that the third the third uh, uh, public great. right exactly. Please help because it's only great if you're here. Uh, so uh, yes, cleanup starts when you get here, uh, and uh, so but we still need help disappear in this place and what you can do to start is your own tent space try to fluff up the 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 plants there maybe if you can aerate the soil by with you know if you got a rake or if you got a uh, shovel just put some air in the soil so then uh the the seed bank that's already here can just reseed 
we talked to the uh, Rangers. They don't want to, us to add any seeds. They just want to use the bank that's here, cover it with duff. Try to disappear your sight. There's no magic cleanup crew that just comes after us. We are the cleanup crew. Look at your campsite before you leave and say, oh, is that how I want that to be forever? Because that's how it's going to be unless you put it on some other family. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional here. But we it's hard being on cleanup crew. It's hard. Then, then let's all do it together. Five, six, seven, the whole family doing cleanup. That's my dream. And you are the drugs 
Inside that needle, inside my vein, pump through my brain. You're my heroine. You're my heroine. You're the ghost I see when the lights come out when the lane be. You're the monster crawling through my veins, in my head. You're the disappearing bow all over them flies downtown. But on life, Billie Jean, I can't promise that I'll stick around. When I come around, when I come around. Woo! Obscene ice cream gathers nicely like a hot glue icy on my picey unintangible delicious that cannot be tasted face it for another sense that will not waste it and it makes sense to embrace it because there's no time for disgust when it's a quarter past lust half a mile from bust and so deep in the delta you're practically in the nile so fast on the fuse might as well be in denial but you know it like a stoner, you grow it. Like a stone, you throw it. And almost stoned, I blow it. Not the first thing blown, grown, or stoned today. We've been naked and naked since dusk, moaning and groaning since dawn. And we'd be in a musky lawn if we could do it in public. We'd probably get published. Hell, we'd even do it in rubbish, because we're dirty, flirty, and nerdy. Like a birdie or a dub? Speaking of, I got to go, so peace and love. All right, guys, uh, freestyle poetry. I take words from the audience and I try to weave them into something. So I need four words from four people. Three. Give me one. Love. Rainbow. Three. Trip and three. Rattlesnake. No, that's too many words. Three. Love, rainbow, trip, three, rattlesnake. Yes. Come to the woods, it's camping, she said, and I thought, hey, why not? Of course, she conveniently forgot to tell me, uh, there are no bathrooms or showers. <laughs> if I knew that I'd be walking around for days and hours, bathed in my own sweat, I'd tell her, uh, forget about it, not happening, because I'm a city girl, sort of. And then when I was on the WhatsApp chat and I read that there are rattlesnakes, I turned to her with anger in my eyes and said, oh, give me a break. Why can't you just be honest with me for like once? I'm not even wearing the proper shoes. She said, dude, it's all right. We'll go to Walmart and find something for you to wear. Next thing I know, I'm standing downhill, bare toes in the mud, thinking, God, I hope I make it out alive. A day later, I find myself in a kitchen watching as my OCD self is trying not to organize the spices on the shelf Trying not to cringe as I watch a piece of wood stuck in a pot used as a ladle. Honestly, if I were an infant in the cradle, I would be screaming in agony. But hey, it's rainbow, and with all the love you see and all the humanity and all the unity, sometimes you need to try to take a step back. Not to control the chaos, not to think twice, definitely not to think about ticks or lice. <laughs> Try not to think, I can't do this, I'm a quitter, the second they hand you a shovel and say, hey, make your way to the shit. <laughs> uh...
that night when it started to rain, I couldn't explain to myself why I was torn between desperately wanting to flee and trying to stay put, trying to find within myself a strength I never knew that I could have, and thinking to myself, hey, so bad, I didn't know I had it in me to stay alone in a tent in the dark. But the thing about places like Rainbow is that you discover more about yourself than you knew you could. You discover that you do things you never thought you could or should or would want to do. The thing I found in this gathering is that it doesn't matter your belongings, whether it's Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, it doesn't matter where you come from or where you're heading to. All that matters is that you want to give and to love, whether you're coming from up, down, side, left, right, up, above. The moment they extend a hand and say, hey, you're here to learn, we're here to teach, and they show you, they show you a path, they give you a guide. All you gotta do is close your eyes, take a breath, look deep inside and find that you can do it, even if you thought you could not. That maybe there are some things you left behind that you thought you forgot, but maybe if you look, you'll find that there's a deep strength that exists inside. I came upon a child of God. He was walking along the road. And I asked him, where are you going? And this is what he I'm going on down to Yasker's farm. Gonna join in a rock and roll band. I'm gonna camp out on the land and try and get my soul free. We have stardust. We are. Dude.
It's happening. It's happening. Oh, good evening. First of all, you guys, thank you so much for letting me practice. Oh my God, it's been like a year, so uh, don't don't expect much, but but this is a golden opportunity for me, and I'm so grateful. Um, also, I used up all my short jokes the other night. So let's let's just get into it. Uh, my name's Gladys. I did move to New England for the winter time. Uh, I know that's kind of unusual. I know a lot of people up here don't appreciate it. I hear I hear them all the time. They fantasize about moving to Florida or Arizona or California, and they don't even know. I, I mean, I, I can tell what they're thinking. They're like, oh, I'm going to wear flip-flops all the time. I can lick a metal pole all year round. Uh, I'm going to wear a straw hat like in the Jason Mraz videos. But, man, it's it that kind of thing can turn out with the darkness because okay basically when we don't share an objective reality that is the weather can kill you for half the year hippies start thinking all the ideas in their head are right it's terrifying just any idea that pops into their stupid little dreadlock head could be correct you know stuff like vaccines cause autism i should wear a more whimsical hat uh, you know what i should do start a start a chapstick company with weed in it <laughs> That's what I should do with my entire life. Basically, I'm saying that you need the harsh winter time to press your hippies down. Man, you get out there, it starts getting kind of spooky. I mean, up in Vermont, it's great. Even our rednecks, like, you know, your eighth generation Vermonter, they're they're pretty they're pretty good. A, they've been to another country, they've been to Canada. B, you know, they just got that out of the gene pool a long time ago. If you couldn't hang out at a party 300 years ago, you had to go outside. And it's negative 30, and that's that's the end of you. You know, out west, somebody can't behave. They go outside. They're just outside. Right outside. Like, right fogging up the windows. Right out there. You'd be like, oh, people don't know so much. I'm just going to walk out of this party and sleep underneath the manzanita tree. <laughs> So I, I moved to New England from the deep south. Um, south, it's, it's been in the news lately for rising again. And, you know, we had a lot of problems out there growing up. I mean, I'll get into, you know, crystal meth. It, it ravages communities, and people are always so down on meth heads. But, you know, there's some upsides. There's some upsides. For one thing, meth heads, man, they'll make you super nostalgic for crackheads. <laughs> And how, and how they just want more crack and you can predict all their actions based on that. The thing with meth is, oh man, it makes you super crazy. It costs almost nothing. Like you can do three days a week at Burger King and pay for your meth habit. So what you have, what you have is a lot of crazy people walking around very quickly, obviously. A lot of time on their hands to work on their bespoke insanities. It'll be stories like, oh... My, my neighbor's stealing my spark plugs, but you know, it's so we can build a time machine so we can go back in time and break Avril Lavigne's nose and somehow that's gonna end the designated hitter rule. So, you know, it's for a good cause. I'm not mad. Or like, you'll be in an alley and some dude will come up and you think he's gonna rob you or whatever, but he just wants you to sign a contract he made about not taking your shoelaces for granted. So, that's fine. That's fun. Uh, I had two kids recently. Or so they tell me. I um, know that shit's been hard because I didn't even have that thing in high school where they give you like a fake baby that you can take care of. Did that happen at anybody's high school? Yeah. In real life? Did, what, what kind of baby was it? It was a sack, sack of flour. 
What the fuck? <laughs> I thought because they had, I thought it was gonna be an egg, like in Saved by the Bell. Because now they have the mechanic, a sack of flour. That's not realistic at all. You can't. You can take a baby to a fish fry, like a sack of flour. Watch out, man. Weird. No, I mean the whole point of that assignment is they wanted you to fail, right? They want you to have the baby, and you see how much it sucks to be a teen mom, and then you don't want to be a teen mom. But then, like, if you do pass the assignment, are you good to go? <laughs> are you good to be one now? Like, like when Mothers Against Drunk Driving comes to your school fair, they have those goggles you put on that makes you drunk, and then you drive with them. But then if you do a good job driving, they give you a laminated card that says you're allowed to drive drunk now. Because <laughs> you did it. Or, like, when the D.A.R.E. officer comes to your school, and he's got all those little samples of drugs in a plastic case and then he lets you do some of the blow and you're you're so good at doing it you're so good at doing it. You, do, you say all the stuff that people in cocaine are supposed to say to each other like like oh your idea for a restaurant sounds incredible i just i think it's important to be honest with children about where restaurants come from. <laughs> I think you gotta sit them down on the edge of the bed and look right in their eyes and just say, when two men named Philip and Dana love themselves very, very much, they have a restaurant concept together. And that's where they come from. Oh, people these days, a lot of people these days, they want comedians to be like more than comedians. They want to be like, you know, preachers or motivational speakers. They want to ask, you know, ask the important questions in life. So I'll, I'll try. Can anybody name all the members of Limp Biscuit? Any of them? You guys, you guys know at least one, right? Right. It would be Fred, it would be Fred Durst. And then some people, I guess some people also know about the spooky, ba uh, the, the spooky bass player. I'm not familiar with him. Uh, did you know that wasn't a puppet? That was a real dude. Just wearing contacts. But, yeah, Fred Durst is the only one anybody ever knew. And that would be really good to be Fred Durst in the 90s, because it's like, you know, you're getting the good restaurant tables, you're getting all the barred-out groupies. Um, you would want to be him, not the drummer, because it's like nobody knows who the drummer is. But then if you go fast-forward to today... You'd way rather be the drummer because you're getting those residual checks, but nobody knows you're in Limp Biscuit. <laughs> nobody but you. Not like Fred Durst, who has who has two hundred and ten million dollars. I looked that up. He's a rich man, but he can't enjoy it because uh, he's trapped inside the body of Fred Durst. <laughs> like even if you rent out the entire go kart pavilion, like there's still you know the two employees are still laughing because it's Fred Durst there. That's hilarious. He's, I'm, I'm just saying he lives in a prison made out of Fred Durst. <laughs> and so you can't even enjoy the riches. Man, wasn't it crazy how Linkin Park made all those songs about dudes having emotions, but they had to use super tough action verbs yeah. so they'd accept it? Like, dudes are always, and people in the songs are like, they're crawling and falling and ripping and tearing. It's like, we get it. You're feeling stuff. You're feeling stuff. Okay, uh... <laughs> It's, it's, I feel it's pretty boring when white people talk about their heritage, right? When someone's trapped you in a conversation, they're telling you about how they're Scotch-German-Irish on their mom's side, and they're Dutch-Irish-Scotch on their dad's side, and so on and so forth. I don't know. I don't think people, Caucasians, should uh, get to have heritage like that. There's, there's usually, I mean, 
Irish is definitely going to be in there. The Irish are super proud of being Irish all the time. So many parades. But then I guess, you know, there was how they used to be, like, slaves, and people considered them, like, less than human, like, not even white, like a subspecies of human. We should get back to that. <laughs> we should bring that. Was, that was tight, in my opinion. Ugh. Knock him down a bit. Oh. <laughs> oh, I know. You were slaves. Um, and so, people here listen to NPR. I bet, I bet you've heard stuff about, like, the call of the abyss. Have I ever heard of, of that phrase before? It's the name for that feeling that you get when you're on, like, top of... Like, like when you're on top of a building and you think about think about falling off, when you think about the worst possible thing that could happen, if you're driving and you think about jerking the wheel, not that you're going to do it. You're not suicidal. You're just thinking about, you know, what would happen if I went down that route. I've, I've been having a lot of conversational call of the abyss lately when I'm talking to folks. I just, it's, it's fucking with my enjoyment of life. Okay, the, 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 the real example, like the real life example of this was, I was hanging out with my friends the other day, and uh, there was a story on the news about some Scientologists in Turkey that were handing out pamphlets, and uh, they were charged with this with this old school crime of there called like inciting fear, inciting fear on the street. And since it was a story about Scientology, of course they have a picture of Tom Cruise up there, just like a random red pic- uh, red uh, red carpet picture of Tom Cruise doing that toothy Tom Cruise grin he does, where he's like like that one. And I stood up and went over the TV. Like pointed at his, his fucked up big front teeth and was like, "Hey guys, more like incising fear, am I right?" <laughs> Which caused a mild titter. It's not a good joke. It caused a mild titter of laughter. But I couldn't even enjoy that little tiny moment of pleasure of bringing other people laughter because immediately I was thinking, "Man, you know what would make things really upsetting and awkward if you just said that again? If you just said the punchline again? More like incising fear, am I right?" for a second time but then that would probably it'd probably work out because people would think you were just excited about your joke landing and were like saying it one more time they'd give you a little a little credit but then man if you said it a third time <laughs> you're like hey guys more like incising fear am i right ha 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 more like incising fear am i right more like incising fear am i right that third time like People are going to frown a little bit and furrow their brows, and they're probably not going to say anything. They might shoot each other a glance, but then what if you said it a fourth time? What if you said it four times? Oh, fuck. Now this is like the worst part of everyone's day. They feel so uncomfortable. They're fucking hating it. They're hating it. Oh, geez. They're like looking around. Man, and then you get into like five, six, seven. People are looking at the table. They might try to physically leave the room. There's like more like incising fear, right? More like incising fear. And then you go into like eight, nine, ten times. They have to look at you because what if you stab them? They don't want to get stabbed. Oh. And then it's like, how many times can you say the same thing in a row before they like? call somebody before like they get a straight jacket for you and put it on you or like just get on the phone about it i mean I, not out here though fuck not right here you could say something five hundred thousand times and you just be like oh that's more like incising fear marks you just, he's like that we love him he's great uh okay so here's 
here's a here's a thing that's hard to do in audiences of normal people that would be easier out here like stuff about traveling it's hard to explain the lifestyle to people it's hard to explain a lifestyle where it's like i would spend a lot of time doing stuff in front of signs that were telling me exactly not to do that like the sign says no soliciting but i'm hardcore soliciting all day <laughs> getting getting that cash or a sign that says you know dogs must be leashed and my dog's never on a leash i would never come on forget about it uh, and then, you know, eventually a security guard will come up to you and they'll like jerk their thumb back at the sign, you know, tell you, you got to get out of here. Sometimes, sometimes they would point to the sign and be like, hey, can't you read? And when I had that opportunity, I would always say no. <laughs> <laughs> and that would usually they'd just give me a weird look. But then sometimes, oh, my God, sometimes they would be like, why? <laughs> And then, then you got a real sandbox to play in. That's so good. You can say, you know, I'm always gonna say something. I'm always gonna say something real, like something that's going on in someone's real life. Like, oh, I was actually like in a cult until I ran away at age 21, and they never taught us how to read, and we didn't really go much past the third grade or whatever. And can you help me get my documents, like a social security card? <laughs> like, Ask them, you know, or like some frozen airplane waste. It fell out and it hit me on the head. Never since then, I can't read. And, and the hope is that he like goes home to his family that night and he tells them of this fantastical tale of this of this person that he met and their story. And then they all think about people whose lives are different from theirs and might not have the same opportunities. And they, they, you know, have a better understanding, more empathy. Or there's also the possibility he says to me, hey, my sister's the only person who's been hit by frozen airplane poop in this hemisphere since 1974. And then now I learned something. I'm the one that learned the lesson. And I'd like that too. Man, being out, being out there sometimes, you know, you, you're, you're out there for years and stuff. Sometimes the compass gets a little spun. You, you start wondering if you're doing the right thing. I would. I mean, I was having a great time out there, but just driving all over America, I'd wonder myself, is it right to be doing this? Should I be out here doing all these drugs, having depraved sex with strangers? Um, is it the best use of my talents and time, limited though they may be? And when I was having one of these moments of, you know, sort of like existential crisis, um, I'm so glad that I got behind an edible arrangements truck because once I saw that truck and that papaya response, uh, <clears throat> I knew that, like, I just remembered edible, arraignment, uh, ed edible arrangements and what it is that there's, like, a whole building where, where people have to show up to so they can cut up pineapples and put wooden dowels in them. And that they're using fossil fuels to, like, haul it all over America to, like, I guess people that work at the bank. I don't know. <laughs> Who orders edible arrangements? But, like, it's an entire company that people work for and you know kind of harming the environment with their activities and it's i'm fine you know if that's going on i'm good i'm good to go i'm not i'm not the person that stuck a wooden dowel in a cookie and uh <laughs> took that to the bank to get a loan about it everything i do is fine so you guys speaking of not being able to read you guys you probably heard dyslexia before right do they they told me when I was little I had an opposite condition called hyperlexia. And I don't know how true that is, but I could definitely read before I could talk or before I was, you know, like three. And 
and uh, can still read pretty fast. And uh, growing up, you'd, you'd think that would be a, you know, a boon that would get you ahead in life, but also it didn't really come with, like, a expanded, you know, maturity or consciousness or intellectual ability. I could just read the words really fast. My parents wouldn't take me to the library. They would just take me to, like, the grocery store where they would buy me every Stephen King book uh, in print. And, man... When I was six, I read Cujo because it had a doggy on the cover. <laughs> and you guys, in the book Cujo, a guy breaks into his girlfriend's apartment, smashes every single thing that she owns, ejaculates on her bedspread, and then leaves. And at the time, that was distressing to me because, you know, I mean, first of all, I didn't want all my unicorn figurines smashed, but also the semen part. That was that was hard for me to deal with because like I knew Salem's Lot wasn't real and that like uh, you know Pet Cemetery was a made up story but I, I was already pretty aware that semen was hella real like as a concept and around me all the time and and I just I just didn't know is that is that how adults treated each other is this what dating was gonna be like is this what I have to get ready for. <laughs> But it didn't even matter because, like, now, if I came home now and found a puddle of semen on my bedspread, y'all, I'm not even washing that for, like, four days. <laughs> I'm just kicking it to the bottom of the bed. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? Uh, so, man, child actors. Why are, why, are we still, why are we still having them? Like, I'm not the best parent, but I know more than to ever let that happen to my kid. What a bizarre-ass life. It's the only profession, too, that we allow kids to do if they want to. It's not like anyone's like, oh, our son, Mar you know, Mur Murphy just loves oil fracking. So so we did quit our jobs and move to North Dakota just to, just to give him a push, see if it works out for him. As long as he's enjoying it, though. No one, even if you're like, even if your first grader's a math whiz, no one's like, oh, you should pull him out of elementary school and make him a CPA. That'd, that'd be good for him. And honestly, oil fracking would probably be safer for kids as a profession because, like, acting's the only profession that requires you on a daily basis to put your kids in the car and drive them on purpose to a building that's full of, like, you know, pedophiles and sycophants and, like, people that whiten their dog's teeth and just the absolute scum of the earth. People that, that are probably going to fuck up your kids mentally and probably just plain fuck them. And I've heard that's bad for their development. <laughs> it's not good for them. Man, I can't even enjoy watching a movie that has a bunch of kids in it, like Stranger Things or something. I feel like I'm watching a snuff film of their childhood. I feel like I'm watching a movie, uh, you know, where the dog dies, but from back before it was illegal to kill animals on screen. Which was 1939. You guys know that before 1939, those horses are not okay. They didn't make it. It wasn't, it wasn't good for them. Man. And then sometimes people will try to tell me, oh, some of the child actors turn out all right. What about Jodie Foster? Jodie Foster's okay. But you guys know, Jodie Foster's like best friends with Mel Gibson. So is she okay? <laughs> is she okay? Uh, I got more, but I think, I think I'm just going to stop now. Why? No, more. That's Why? Okay. Um, <laughs> what did I have? What did I have written on the sheet of paper? Poker stories is one of testosterone. Testosterone. Testosterone starts off with talking about NPR and like 
I'm not sure. That might be, like, a little specialized. I don't know. It's just I, it's a little cute for me lately. You guys listen to NPR often? Sometimes. I don't know. Like, Steven Skeep pretending not to know how to pronounce, like, rap, you know, words and rap lyrics on the bumper stuff. And, like, oh, man, Radiolab. Fucking Radiolab. It's like, if you're telling a story that takes place in England, you don't have to play Hail Britannia for me to, like, hold that idea in my head. It's fucking babyish. Um, but anyway, so I was listening to it one day because there's nothing else in the car. They were doing a story about testosterone, like people that had too much of it or too little of it, people that had, like, transitioned their gender or whatever and what that was like. And um, they were going down a list of, like, uh... Of like fact uh, attributes of people that had like a lot of testosterone in their body. And I was hearing it, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe identify with some of that. It was stuff like square palms and like a deep voice. And a, one of them literally, this is literally one of them, a wolfish grin. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, another one of them was if you were in high school, voted most likely to Sarah Connor. <laughs> which I was. <laughs> no, that wasn't really one. That wasn't really one. Uh, but the last one uh, they told you about, which is completely real, was that levels of testosterone rise when you are uh, both working out, like in the middle of a really hard workout, or watching violence, even recorded violence, like people fighting. And when I heard that, I knew it was time to take my workouts to the next level by watching <laughs> videos of people beating the shit out of each other first. Yeah. And you guys, it is it works so well. Oh my god. Yeah. I would you. Go to, go to any kind of fight porn site. It, you know, when you're, like, watching a video of a fight at 2 a.m. and you get embarrassingly hype about it, like, you're... Yeah, like UFC? Yeah, sure, that too. But, I mean, no, I want them to, like, mean it. I want someone to have snatched somebody's something and then now, like, an unholy fury is coming down. I watched them all. High school fight videos. Like, I didn't get into the Appalachian preschool MMA backyard scene. But that exists. That exists and it's out there. And uh, I'm so grateful. But then it got me in trouble because uh, back when I was living my car, I would work out sometimes by sneaking into the fitness room of like a Ramada Inn or something. Uh, you would just like fish a Starbucks cup out of the garbage, have sweatpants on and a messy bun. And then now, you know, bust out a workout real quick before I go fly a sign. And I'm in, I'm in the Ramada one time waiting for somebody with a card to come wipe it through so he can get into the little tiny room with the foggy mirrors and the like one Nordic track and I'm listening to I'm, I'm watching the fights on my cell phone with headphones and then eventually this like elderly dude in basketball shorts uh, comes to use the gym which is great for me he stands up he swipes the card and as he goes in I duck in behind him really quick and as I do the door slams shut and catches my headphones and pulls them out of the phone. And then now all of a sudden we're like in this tiny room together and there's just the sounds of like, get him, Jeremy, get him, Jeremy. Fuck him up, fuck him up. And he was like looking at me, kind of confused. I was just like, this is what music sounds like now? This is what the kids listen to? Um, okay. I don't want to talk about the Myers-Briggs personality index. I don't want to talk about pedophiles. Um, I invented some new dog breeds, I guess. 
You know, like, I mean, it just sucks that we have all these dogs that, that are trained to do hyper-specialized tasks. We took all their dogs away. I mean, we took all their uh, jobs away in the span of, like, 50 years. I just don't think it's fair. They're, like, quivering with excitement to do the thing they were trained to do. And we don't want them to do it. We got to start over. We got to start from scratch. Dogs for modern people to solve modern problems. You know, like a, a dog, like a retriever. But they only retrieve cash and jewels. <laughs> and also they can break into people's houses. That's a dog that I could use. Um, you know, dogs that are good for selfies, really glossy, stand in front of you, reflect the light. Um, dogs that, like, secrete antibiotics from their eyes, but every day they change a little bit to keep up with today's fast-paced MRSA outbreaks. <laughs> you know, like a, a dog that... If people call themselves their dog's mom, maybe you hit 40 and the dog's face will change to look like your face. So then you don't feel so bad about not completing the biological imperative. I don't know. Sometimes when I'm in public with my dog, she'll be asleep and she'll be twitching like dogs do when they dream and, you know, making little noises and shit. And people are always like, oh, she must be chasing rabbits. Or, you know, stuff that dogs do during the day. But sometimes the dog tries to hump me, so it's like... You gotta figure some of those dreams. Some of those dreams, you're not stopping them. Like, you're into it. Hmm. Of all the things that COVID took away from us in Burlington, Vermont, near where I live, the one thing I can't believe it didn't take away was the axe throwing bar. <laughs> Somehow, there's still a bar. It survived the pandemic where you can go throw axes at the wall. And it makes me so goddamn mad. Oh, man. I know I shouldn't get that worked up over it. It's just, oh. <clears throat> because they're not chopping wood in there. It's not surrounded by, like, you're supposed to chop, like, you know, 10,000 cords of wood first. They're, they're trafficking in working class signifiers. I don't love that. Plus the fact that you just know... If it came down to the cut, they're not, it, they're not even helping people do it. They're not even going to be able to do it. Like, I'm out here in the middle of nowhere chopping wood for the apocalypse. They're in there twirling them around like majorettes. And if, in fact, the apocalypse did happen and there was, like, you know, a horde of people from Brooklyn cresting the hill coming to take over my house in Vermont, and you needed somebody, you needed one of these Burlingtonians to sink the tip of that axe into the forehead... Of one of these fucks, they're, they're going to be like, oh, it's not a regulation axe. It needs to be tuned. Uh, so I guess I might as well. Sure, I'll, I'll do the, the hooker story last because I got to get back to those to the kids. They'll probably need me. But, uh. <clears throat> Go way out there. So, uh, before. Uh, yeah, before this life, I used to have, like, a whole, a whole different one where I had, like, long hair and, uh, long nails and high heels and, oh, for the purposes of this story, I guess it is important, not just a, a brag, to say, like, I used to be super hot. Before I lost, like, most of my teeth, which causes your face to sink in, I was, I was pretty attractive. Like, people used to say Angelina Jolie, but that's not true. That's, that was way too hot. But absolutely Jessica Alba hot. Yeah. That's an objective fact. I was absolutely as hot as, like, Jessica Alba. So, anyway, um, I... Also, I'm tired of standing up now. So, 
I had parlayed this into like a fairly. I went from Craigslist hooker to like tech bro hooker, which was you know fairly a fairly lucrative enterprise. And um, huh? Like uh, you know, like a I, uh, I would say mostly tech bros, is is who I was working for. And so for the setting, this story is I was in the car with one of these dudes one day, and he was going off about my mom's declawed cat. I mean, you know, like, I've been seeing the dude a little bit, and he just hated that my mom's cat uh, had been declawed. I don't, I don't, I know we're not supposed to like it. I don't have that much of a problem with it. I mean, it was still could climb trees. The cat seemed happy enough. Otherwise, it was going to go to an animal shelter in Memphis, Tennessee, which would have been death. So it's like declawing or death, whichever one you think is better. But he was, he was all up in arms about it. He's like, oh, man, don't you know it's just like cutting your knuckle off, your, your finger off at the first knuckle. That's, that's their fingers in there. And I was like, well, honestly, I think cats would be able to make that decision. I think if you offered a cat free room, board, medical care, and food for the rest of their natural life, they'd probably lose the first knuckle voluntarily. I know I would. If somebody was offering me <coughs> free room, you know, food, medical care for the rest of my life, you can have the first one, you know, little bone pieces. And he said, do you want to put your money where your mouth is? And I said, what? And he said that there was places on the internet, not the World Wide Web, but the internet, where he could put an ad like that, and maybe somebody would take me up on it and, uh, you know, decide to provide those things in exchange for, you know, safely uh, in a medical setting, cutting the tips of my finger off. And I didn't have to think long about it before I said yes, because, come on, <laughs> the first knuckles in your finger? What the fuck? You can still dial a phone, pull a grenade, masturbate, Vulcan salute. What else is there? Those four things? Come on, you're good. It's good. That's all you need to do. And so he put the ad on the internet, and uh, surprisingly quickly it got answered. If you had to guess a part of the world from which someone who would take me up on that offer would originate, what do you think? New Jersey. <laughs> Oh, uh, China? <laughs> no, not nobody there Tell can afford. Tell the answer, so I don't sound ignorant. <laughs> what, what you would now call the UAE? They're definitely they definitely grow some weird ones. United Arab Emirates. Yeah, in that in that part of the world. Um, did they want your knuckles? Yeah, they actually wanted a whole lifestyle thing. Like that was get, that was getting worked out. You know, am I going to like live at the house? Do I wear a collar? It was finally decided it was going to be just like you know I had my own. Oh, separate oh, you domicile. To you like a cat. Yeah, no, that yeah, that's, that's... Yeah, I don't declaw cats. <laughs> that's not <laughs> apparently that a lot of people me. don't. I mean my mom did. I don't judge other people. Uh anywho no, it's a conversation too. It's a con right because I'm sitting down, fuck. Ha ha That's why they make them stand up. Now I get it, or else you're just talking. Or you're just talking. Oh gosh. Tradition. Tradition. Don't fuck with it. Well, United Arab Emirates have a lot of money, you know. Yes, yeah, yeah. Some uh some free stuff going on. But luckily before before that uh, happened, uh, some other shit went down, and uh, I basically ended up hitting the road because I was being, you know, pretty heavily surveilled by these dudes. But it was kind of a shame because I had already practiced, you know, doing a bunch of stuff that was going to be needed in my new cat lifestyle, like jumping up on the mantle and knocking a bunch of shit off. <laughs> 
shitting in a box of sand, much to the dismay of other people at the playground. <laughs> okay, I'm going to sit down now.
Bonjour, and welcome to another episode of Always Free on the radio. Uh, this is Finch, and I'm coming to you from the city of Quillon in southern France in the Pyrenees Mountains. I've just left the European Rainbow Gathering in France, and uh, we have uh, a couple of musical tracks to bring you, as well as some, some comedy and some sounds from the Pennsylvania Prism Gathering that happened last month. And at the end of this show, the second half is going to be a longer conversation that was aired previously on the radio with Garrick Beck, one of our Rainbow founders. Uh, we also have a, a track for you uh, from YouTube with permission from the creator uh, about a sister who went to an international rainbow gathering and decided that maybe the hippie life isn't quite for her. Uh, what you just heard is some, some piano music from uh, Loop, who is a brother that uh, we met on the way out of the gathering, hitchhiking into town. Uh, it was getting late, and uh, a family at the house we were hitchhiking in front of invited us in for the night, gave us beautiful beds, showers, amazing dinner, uh, music, and uh, all in all, we're the most hospitable strangers I may have ever met. Uh, so Always Free is a radio production usually coming out of San Francisco, California. You can listen to it by tuning in to mutinyradio.fm on any Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. That's San Francisco time. And you can also listen to episodes after they've aired uh, by subscribing to the archived podcast, which can be found wherever you get your podcasts by searching for the word always free spelled a l l w a y s f r e e and that's all one word if you search for that podcast then you'll be able to update and get our 2 hour long episode every week as well as listen to the 60 some odd episodes that we've produced over the last year and a half enjoy the show and please tune in next week and every week for more sounds and news from the rainbow. Welcome home.
Welcome back, everybody. Um, my name is Dante, as you probably already know. I'm just here to, you know, basically the topic of today is going to be talking about basically my first experience at a rainbow gathering and kind of how I discovered that I'm not really a hippie and that I'm not as free-spirited and like cool and whatever as I thought I was. Um, I feel like amongst my friends, like I'm known as the person who's willing to like try some, you know, we'll say obscure things. Like I tried when I went to Peru, I tried ayahuasca. Um, and then I also, I went to like holistic doctors. Um, I did Ayurveda. Um, basically, I like if, if, if there's something that so someone says, oh yeah, this is gonna bring you enlightenment or you're gonna like learn something or it'll be like a really interesting or cool experience or whatever, I feel like I'm usually pretty open to like try it. So I had got invited to this rainbow gathering by first I met this Brazilian girl randomly through somebody else and we were we went to go eat beans because that's what you do in Macedonia apparently especially on a Friday you go and eat beans so we went and ate beans her and some other people and she ended up inviting me to this rainbow gathering and she's like oh yes it's all about love and like opening your heart and blah 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 and it's like a beautiful experience and I think you'd really like it and so I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like really cool, like whatever. I, I didn't know really how much I would be into it. She was also talking about how like a lot of people get naked. And um, then it was also in the mountains. And I'm like, I know it's probably going to be cold. But anyway, a week later, I went out with this other girl that I had met like a week or so before, or maybe two weeks before. And like we went out and had a drink and we were like talking and hanging out. And then she told me about the festival as well, or not the festival, the gathering. And so I was like, okay, two people have told me about this and invited me to it. So maybe this is a sign. Because I also am a person who like, maybe I'm meant to do this. Like maybe, like, I don't know. I kind of believe in signs. So um, after that, I was like, okay, I really want to go. But I am a tourist here. I don't have a car. I don't speak the language. I really don't know my way around. I don't even know how to drive a manual car. Like in the US, most of the cars are automatic. So that's really all that I know how to drive. So I was like, I really don't know how I'm gonna get to this place that's this many hours away and you know how this all and then and then yeah, so that that's that's another thing. Um then I found uh, three other people who were going, but they were all were people who like work here. So they're like, oh, I don't know when I'll be able to have time off from work. And so long story short, I went to Belgrade again for a week, which I had filmed the video there. Yes, I did. And so you guys know I was in Belgrade. And so while I was there, one of the people that I had asked about it called me and was like, or messaged me and was like, hey, I'm gonna go this Friday. And so I wasn't planning on coming back to uh, Macedonia until uh, Saturday, or I was going to take the bus on Saturday, probably get here on Sunday, because I actually had a tattoo appointment on Friday, which this is my new tattoo. Uh, you can kind of see it. Maybe I'll see if I can add the picture in there. But anyway, long story short, everything kind of worked out even though it wasn't seeming like it was going to work out, like the guy that I was going to go with or the guy that I was going with, he ended up having like a work thing. So then he couldn't actually leave on Friday like he planned. 
the lady who was doing my tattoo had to cancel laser, so she ended up being able to move my appointment up. And then even though the bus times weren't accurate, because like they're, they're kind of weird with COVID, the times aren't always up to date. Um, but I was able to get like a bus and be able to get here by like basically Saturday morning at four in the morning, which or four thirty in the morning, which was perfect because uh, then the guy that I was going with, he wasn't going to be leaving until like ten or ten thirty, so I could take like a like power nap. But basically, long story short, or not even short because this is not even this is just the beginning. Um, it was very very like rushed, and I also had a friend. Oh, this is another thing that kind of like worked out that was kind of like amazing is. Um, I didn't have like a tent. I didn't have a sleeping bag. I didn't have like any of those things. And also while I was in Belgrade, one of my other friends who I didn't even know was going, uh, told me that he was going, but he's going by bike and that, um, asked if I could take his tent and his sleeping bag and everything up there. So that way he didn't have to carry all that with him on his bike. And so that was perfect because I didn't have a bike or, I mean, I didn't have a sleeping bag. I didn't have a tent. I didn't have any of these things. So long story short, I was like, oh, wow, like everything is coming to alignment. This is like meant to be. It's going to be this amazing, beautiful experience. Like, I don't know. I thought I was going to have like this soul life changing experience. Um, so we like go um, like my my friend comes and picks me up on Saturday morning and we set off on this adventure. And it's like a really nice we like talking because also this is also very rare. I feel like everything in life with me is random because like I had met the guy that I ended up going up there with I had met him one time like two weeks ago or so and hadn't really had that much communication with him in between except to tell him hey like let me know if you go to this festival because I want to like drive with you so like basically on the drive up there we were like getting to know each other and like talking a little bit more and um, we got lost because the, the instructions on how to get to the place aren't really, really clear like um, it's kind of like a word of mouth thing. I think um, I, I think that there is a website I don't actually I don't know. I don't know from what I understand. It's a word of mouth thing and whatever And so the directions are like very not clear and they, they don't really have signage because it's not really like a public event. It's kind of like a private uh, secret. I don't know event. I don't know how to describe it and so um, we, we get there and everybody is basically like it's it's cold and everybody is like barefoot like everybody nobody's wearing shoes like there's like maybe two people out of i, I would say five percent of the people are, are are wearing shoes everybody else the other 95 are not wearing shoes and um i don't know like i just feel like it like everybody was very friendly everybody was really really warm and very nice i just feel like it seems to me that and I hope that I'm gonna exp explain or express this in the right way because I don't want it to to come off the wrong way. I just feel like there's so like in society like this is a kind of like a okay we're anti society anti them putting their rules. But then I feel like you go into this other society and then there's all these rules of what you're not supposed to do and what you're what's not allowed. Like um, for instance, at one point. I was hungry like they like there's like a food circle twice a day or at least at this one that I went to we had a food circle like twice a day so if you were hungry any other time like I was eating some bread and then the girl was like uh, oh you're really not supposed to eat 
like as an individual in public like you're not supposed to just be eating by yourself like amongst other people you know by yourself like that's not that's not acceptable and I know that when we went there like it's mostly like it's well not mostly it is vegan um so that was another thing I had brought I have like I have a candy addiction I'm not gonna lie I am addicted to candy so I bought some Haribo gummy bears and so I was eating my not even gummy bears they were like these um Haribo strawberry things and uh, so I was eating my little strawberry candies and then the guy one of the guys like made a comment about that like oh you know that has animal products in it and I just don't eat anything that has a face and blah 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 and so I don't know like it was just I, I had also bought like uh, the, one of these cans of like it was like soda water and I and then like my friend told me oh no you're not supposed to eat that in the circle because or drink that in the circle because that's consumerism and blah 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 but I'm like I can have a bottle of water from the city that I bought or whatever but I can't have like soda water I don't know like I, I don't know like I just I guess I just don't like like I thought it was going to be like this free love whatever yes okay you don't don't litter don't litter don't don't you know have trash everywhere like those things make sense but I don't like those like kind of things where we're supposed to be so free and like whatever, but then we're going to judge you because you are eating in public or because you like gummies or like, I don't know. Like I just, I just didn't like it. And then like, everyone's like, Oh, well, uh, well with your shoes, if you take, like someone told me, well, for me, like when I take off my shoes, my body acclimates to, to nature and like that regulates my body temperature. And I felt like I was kind of being judged a little bit for like, keeping my shoes on the whole time. And then I guess you're not supposed to come in with your shoes into the circle. And then um, basically every time before you eat, uh, you have to sing, you hold hands and you sing songs and that's all fine and dandy. But then like, I feel like sometimes some people like keep on going with the songs and sometimes you're hungry and you just wanna eat your food and you don't wanna like just hold hands and sing. You wanna like sit down and eat and just in, enjoy it. and then i also feel like i already like it's and it's really crazy because the thing is i went to burning man and i know burning man like i know a lot of people are like oh burning man isn't what it used to be whatever but I'm, i i bring it up to say that i was there for i forgot if it was seven or eight days and even though i wasn't showering showering oh i don't i feel like i'm not saying i'm not pronouncing that right but even though i wasn't showering I didn't feel dirty like I don't know I, I felt dirty but it was it was like a different kind of dirt and I don't know if it's maybe because like we were in the mountains we were with the trees there was bugs everywhere um maybe that's why I felt more gross and I feel like also I was peeing outside and I feel like I don't know what it is with me and peeing outside but I think I just have a very strong pee stream I think that's what it is because whenever I pee outside, it comes out with so much force that it sprays on my pants, sprays on my shoes. Sometimes like I have to like lean back because it'll like, try to spray. Like I just feel like, so I feel like being outside, peeing outside, I feel like I was like always like covered in pee. Like I feel like I always had pee on me and like there, it was too cold. Like, it, like you're in the mountain. So of course the river is cold. Then it's cold outside. 
So then I didn't feel like super comfortable, like cleaning myself in the river because I knew I was just going to be like really, really cold. And also long, I, I forgot to mention this part in the story. So my friend who like gave me stuff for camping, um, he didn't have a sleeping bag. Um, he, he had a sleeping mat that I could sleep on, but there was no sleeping bag. So um, I had to share a sleeping bag with the person that I went up there with and it was it was really cold we'll just say that like i had my coat i had on two pairs of socks i had on two pairs of pants i had on like uh three two shirts and a sweatshirt and like still tried to cover my face because i was like my face was like so cold like i was just really cold and so um yeah like i don't know maybe i think maybe it would have been a different experience if it was somewhere hot that had water and I could go into the water or waterfall and like clean myself. But I just felt like really like gross the whole time. But okay, I don't want to just say all all bad things because it was people were very loving. I, I got lots of hugs. Um, and it was it was a very good experience to see like people working together and people willing to to I don't know, give of themselves, like, um, in order, they knew that more people were coming. I went, like, early, um, early in the process, so I know it's, there's, they said there's going to be more stuff going on and more people are coming, but they were, like, they were digging steps to make it so that way people could have clear paths to get to where they needed to go. Um, they were creating tarps over the shit pit, so that way you could poop without having rain get on you or rain get in the poop and overflow that. And so I feel like, I don't know, like it was really like shows you like people doing like acts of service, which I think is really amazing and really, really wonderful. Um, yeah. So, and, and I, and I, I don't know people were very friendly. Like I met a lot of wonderful people. I learned about a lot about like a, a lot about a lot of different lifestyles um i just don't know if it's for me i feel like maybe i think i'm too uptight i i don't mind um i don't know because like there, like it's the whole thing lasts for like a month almost um and so i can't imagine being there for a whole month like i was there for three days like two nights three days and for me that was the perfect amount of time uh because by the time i came back i smelled awful um, I felt dirty. Um, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's really, and, and, and the thing is, I'm not like this, like super, uh, clean, like, Ooh, like, I don't know. I'm not that prissy kind of girl, but, but I guess, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why that, that I was, like I said, I went to Burning Man. I was there for seven, eight days. I maybe showered one of the days or two of the days I was there, but it just felt different. And maybe you would think it'd be worse because it's hot. But maybe because the dust or alkaline, I know it's called like alkaline powder or whatever from the alkaline bed of the lake. I don't know what it's called, but I don't know. Maybe that's the reason why it felt a little bit. I felt cleaner there. Oh, and then, okay. So then this is another thing. So we hiked back down from the mountain. We're about to get in the car to come back. Um, he's going to drop me off at my house. And um, it's about a two-hour drive. And basically, um, there was this guy down there. And he 
saw me and he was like, oh, I love your energy. I love your spirit and your soul. And then he wanted me to sit down with him. And so he's just like, no, we have to do the rainbow handshake or whatever. And he like basically put his hand on my heart and put my hand on his heart. And then we were basically doing like a meditation kind of thing or whatever you want to call it. And so he was like, oh, do you hear the birds, blah, blah, blah. I just assumed that he was just like one of these spiritual guys or whatever. And so then he was asking me about if I was going to stay. And I said, no, I'm leaving. I said, I have to, because like, I don't, I don't think I've really talked about this too much. Like I'm currently trying to do this teaching English as a foreign language. I'm also currently trying to do this website uh, as a way to earn income. So that way it'll hopefully allow me to stay and not have to go back to the U.S., and so I'm working on a couple of things and he was like, oh, no, you have to open your mind. Um, there's actually, you know, a better way. You don't have to, to live your life this way. You can travel with me. He asked me if I met this other person on the mountain. I said, oh, yeah, I met them. And he's like, yeah, he's been traveling with me for a year. This is my RV. You can travel with me for a year. And this man is probably around... I would say in his mid 40s, maybe a little bit older. Actually, I'd probably say older. I would say older, maybe late 40s, early 50s. So I'm just thinking like he's just a spiritual man. I'm not thinking like anything other than that. And so I'm like, yeah, no, I got to go back, whatever. And so then we get in the car and then he, uh, my friend goes up to circle around to come back. And basically when he does that, the guy puts his thumb out. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I want to go to Skopje now, too. So I'm thinking, because he's like a traveler. He's been all around the world. He's traveled everywhere. And so I'm thinking, okay, he probably has friends in the same city that I live, because it's a big city. Or not a big city, but one of the main cities. So I'm like, he probably has a friend here. And so he gets in the car. He he just brings, like, a few pairs of clothes, his ukulele, and, like, uh, I think a violin. And he, like, gets in the car. So, like I said, it's about a two-hour drive, and he was like, he, he had asked me, and I should, I'm going to mention that, he asked me, oh, do you want me to, I can, or would you, is it okay if I give you a massage, like rub your shoulders? I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. But then, like, I feel like I immediately regretted it, because, like, I feel like, like I said, I've been on, I've been on this thing for, for two, two days. People, like, massage, people give you hugs, like, it's not a big deal. But he, like, kept stroking my neck, touching my hair touching my hair like it was just like it was just like too much and then like I like when I when I was trying to use my phone he was like no no you need to focus you need to focus you need to be present but keep in mind like I have been in the mountains for three days um I know how my parents are I know how my family is they like freak out if they can't get a hold of me so I wanted to make contact and then he's like no hand contact so then the whole like for probably like an hour of the drive, I'm having to hold this man's, he's in the backseat, like holding this man's hands like this. And I was like, this is just so awkward. So we get about 40 minutes out from um, basically where I live. And then this is when he's like, oh, I don't have a place to stay. Can I stay with you? And at this point, I'm like, no. Normally, like I'm like a pushover. But in this situation, I was like, this is super awkward. It's super weird. He's been like stroking my my neck, like stroking my hair. He like uh like it's just it's just weird. It's just a very weird situation and it's uncomfortable. 
And um, so I'm like, no. I said, I, I, I have a lot of things I need to do. Um, I need some time by myself. And then he's like, oh, well, I guess I'll just walk the streets all night. Keep in mind, in Macedonia, there is a curfew for midnight. So you're not even allowed to be on the streets after midnight. So I really don't know what he's going to do. And I'm sorry. I feel like I'm looking at this and I'm like, this video is already 20 minutes long. So I'm going to try to like shorten this. Uh, long story short, fortunately, my friend who I went with was very nice. And he's like, um, I, I have some money. I can get you uh, a hostel. And then this man was like, okay, maybe we can meet for lunch. But if you don't show up, it's fine. So I didn't show up because I didn't want to meet him for lunch. And then he basically messages me. He goes to a store and he messages me and is like, oh, you said that you were going to travel with me. You said that you were going to give up this worldly life and, you know, basically recenter yourself. I don't know. And I was like, no, I, I, I never said that. But then he like calls me and then he wants me to Facebook message him. And I'm like, I don't know. It's just really weird because also like, Keep in mind, like he, we, when we're in the car and we're making this drive, he's talking about how he really wanted to have uh, a children. And then I was like, oh, well, do you have any children? And he was like, yes. And I'm like, oh, where are they? They're with their mom. To me, that's like so crazy. You want children so bad. And they have, he has two, there's two different uh, mothers. And it's just so crazy to me that you want to have children so bad but then your children are not with you and you seem to be like kind of okay with it. You're like, oh, well, it's their mom's fault or their decision. I don't know. I don't know. Take this with a grain of salt. Like, I I guess I, I, I feel like I, I think I just got the wrong impression. I had thought one way. I just thought, I, I guess you just have to ask questions. Ask questions, people. Uh, don't, don't assume uh, otherwise, you may end up in some awkward situations that you really don't want to be in. And I feel like I find myself in these awkward situations quite often. And you would think that at this point, I would know better to like ask some questions and to say no when things are getting very weird and, cre and creepy. And I mean, I did say no about him staying with me and I did not meet him and I'm not going to message him. And I don't think he's like a bad person. Like, I think he's probably a fantastic, he's a great person. It's just that I'm not, I guess, at that point in my life where I'm ready to just, you know, give up my life and go live in the woods or or, or whatever. I, 